0: I hope you have notes because we're going to go through some scripture today. And uh, this is week number eight in uh, our study in the book of Hebrews. And today we're actually going to finish chapter one. So if you can tell, we're going to be in Hebrews for a while. Um, almost two months now and we're wrapping up the first chapter. But it's just so good. Uh, You know, let's just dig into it and figure out what God's Word tells us. So we're going to read today from um, verse 5 to the end of the chapter. Uh, That's verse 5 to verse 15. I'm going to read from the New King James. Here is what the author of Hebrews said. For to which of the angels he ever said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So let me just make some comments as we go again to refresh our memories. So this way we can dig into the text right away. The author of Hebrews wrote this book to the Hebrews who were Jews and then they became Christian and then they wanted to go back to Judaism. So the author of Hebrews wrote this book to tell them not to do it. Pretty much most of the, ten, the first 10 chapters, he's arguing that Christianity, Christ, the New Testament is far more superior than the Old Testament. Therefore, don't go back from what is superior to what is inferior. In the first three verses, the author of Hebrews argued that Jesus is superior to the prophets. We talked about this. Jesus is a, has a superior message, and he's a superior messenger. Then verse 4, serves sort of like as a transition. And then from verse 5 all the way to chapter 2, verse 18, now the author of Hebrews is arguing that Jesus is superior to the angels. That portion that, was reading right, that we're reading right now from verse five all the way to verse 14, the author of Hebrews is arguing that Jesus is superior than the angels as supported by the Old Testament. So he's quoting seven different verses from the Old Testament to support his argument that even from the Old Testament, we see Jesus, the Son of God is superior to the angels. So the first quote is right here from, um, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's from Psalm chapter two. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be my son. That's a quote from first Samuel seven. We already talked about this. Here, the author of Hebrews is arguing that the Son is superior because he has inherited a superior name than the angels. Amen. And then he moves to point number two. But when he brings the firstborn, the firstborn into the world, he say, "Let, the, let all the angels of God worship him." Again, that's a quote from Deuteronomy uh, 32. And the point here is Jesus is superior because he's being worshipped by the angels. Amen. That's why Jesus is superior, point number two, and that's his third quote. Then verse 7, but of the angel, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers flames of fire. We're going to talk about this a little bit today uh, because it's linked to verse 14. That's a quote from Psalm 104. The author of Hebrews is pretty much saying that the angels are created beings, but compared to that, Jesus, the Son, he out- uses two verses from the book of Psalms and applies them to Christ. The first one is in verse 8. Your throne, O God, talks about Jesus. And he says, your throne, O God, is forever and forevermore. A specter of righteousness is a specter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companion. That's a quote from Psalm 45. And... Uh, now another quote from the book of Psalms that the author of Hebrews is applying to the son. You, Lord, in the beginning have laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hand. They will perish, but you remain and they will all grow old like a garment, like a clock. You will fold them up and they will be changed, but you are the same and your years shall never fail. And that's a quote from Psalm 102. And the whole passage here from verse 7 to verse 12 the author of Hebrews is contrasting the angels versus the sun. He's saying the angels are created beings, but the sun on the other hand is God in his nature as proved by Psalm 45 and is also the creator of everything as proved by the quote from Psalm 102. And then he moves finally to his last argument: why the son is superior than the angels. And he uses verse 13 and 14 for that. And he say, but to which of the angels he ever said, sit at my right, my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? That's a quote from Psalm 110, verse 1. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? In verse 13 and 14, that's what we're going to be talking about today. The author of Hebrews is arguing that the Son is superior because the Son is master, Lord, but the angels are servants and the Lord is usually superior than the servant. Amen? Amen. So the four arguments that the author of Hebrews quoting seven different verses from the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is superior, number one, the Son has inherited a superior name, that's verse four and five. Number two, the Son receives worship from the angels, that's verse six. Number three, the Son is the God in his nature, but the angels are created beings, that's verse seven to 12. And number four, the Son is master and Lord, but the angels are servants. Amen? Yes. So today we're arriving to verse 13 and 14. That's what we're going to be breaking down and trying to understand. So is, here's what verse 13 and 14 says. But to which of the angels he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your food stall? Verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Amen? Amen the first part to which of the angels he ever said does that sound familiar to you yes because he said that the same thing in verse 5 if you go back to verse 5 and you read what he said the very beginning of that passage for which of the angels he ever said right so he quoting the same rhetorical question again when he talks about the angel Of the angels. Obviously, that's a rhetorical question, and the obvious answer is nobody. God never said these words Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool to any angel ever. This is a quote that God the Father said only to Jesus the Son, never uttered to any angel. Amen. Moving forward, what is that quote? This is again a quote from Psalm 110 verse 1. That it, it starts like this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The author of Hebrews is applying that verse to Jesus and he said, the Lord, the first one is the father, saying to my Lord, my master, that's the son, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Psalm 110, particularly this verse, and we're going to see later verse 4 after that, has been used multiple times by the New Testament authors and has been applied to Christ repeatedly. Even in our book of Hebrews here as we go, we're going to see so many allusions to that one verse and so many direct quotes from that one verse many, many times. The New Testament writers have no problem applying that to Christ all the time. As a matter of fact, Jesus applied that verse to himself. Remember when he wanted to quiz the, the, the Pharisees and he was like, okay, I have a question for you. They all come to him with different questions they're trying to catch him and they can't. And then Jesus says, okay, now let me quiz you. And then he quoted that Psalm, applied it to the Messiah, which he by default acknowledging that to be himself. And he said, how come... David said in the psalm, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. If the Messiah is David's son, how can be his Lord, right? The the Pharisees have no answer for that. But the point is, Jesus took that verse and said, this is about the Messiah. It's about me. He was trying to drive them to that point. Not even that, but Jesus even alluded to that verse in, in Mark 16, verse 62. Now Jesus is uh, is in front of the high priest. He's being beaten and the, or being tortured and being mistreated. And then the high priest is asking him, Are you the son of God? And Jesus said, Yes, I am the Son of God. And from now on, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God, and everything is being subjected to Him. So in that quote here, Jesus was alluding to Psalm 110, that it is messianic and it is being applied to Him. As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews already used that verse in our chapter and applied that to Christ. Remember what he said in verse 3. We talked about this after he himself, Jesus, purged us, cleansed us from our sins. What did he do? He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Where is he getting that from? Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, my right hand of majesty, till I put your enemies your footstool. So it's already applied by the author of Hebrews to Jesus. And now it's directly quoted and applied. This is so much fun. God, is the father is telling the son, sit at my right hand. The author of Hebrews is saying Jesus is far more superior than all the angels because Jesus actually gets to sit at the right hand of God. All the angels stand ministering before God. But Jesus doesn't stand before God. He sits at the right hand of majesty on high. Amen. Amen. Gabriel, one of the archangels that we read about in the book of Daniel's came to Mary and he was trying to tell Mary the good news and how does he introduce himself he said I am Gabriel who sits in the presence of God right Who stands in the presence of God. And this is an archangel. This is one of the leaders of the angels that God has made. Yet even that leader stands before the presence of God. Jesus sits at the right hand of majesty on high. Because he is far much greater than all the angels. Amen? Amen. And verse 14 says this. Are most of them not ministering spirits? Right? Says, aren't 95% of the angels ministering spirit, right? No. What does verse 14 say? Are they not? How much? All. Oh, aren't every single one of them? Regardless if if it's the archangels or if it's one of the minor angels, regardless of their class, of their function, of how great they are in the angelic atmosphere, every single one of them still remain what? A minister, ministering spirit, a servant to those who are about to inherit salvation. Amen? Mm -hmm. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus is Lord over those who will inherit salvation, right? With me? Okay, one one person agrees, that's good. Jesus is Lord over those who will inherit salvation, but angels are servant and ministers to those who inherit salvation. Do you see the difference? Do you see why the author of Hebrews is arguing that Jesus is far more superior than all the angels. He's Lord over those who are being saved, but... The angels are servant over those who are being saved. Amen? And not just some of the angels are servants to those who are being saved. All of them, even the archangels and the highest among the angels in rank, still considered a minister, a servant to those who inherit salvation. Amen? Now, aren't they all, and how does the author of Hebrews describe them? They are ministering spirits, right? ministering spirits to those who inherit salvation the greek here ministering spirits even the english is present tense it is not past tense it's present tense that tells us that the angels are not just have not just ministered to the Old Testament believers as we have seen in the Old Testament, but they are continuing to minister to, uh, to the New Testament believers that would be you and me. Amen? They are still ministering. They have ministered in the past and they are still ministering till uh, the point that we inherit salvation. Are they not all ministering what? Spirits. That kind of takes us back to verse 7. If you go back to verse 7 and read it with me. The author of Hebrews is talking about the angels. And he's saying. And of the angels he says. Who makes his angels spirits. And his ministers flames of fire. Seems like the author of Hebrews makes spirits from the first part. And ministers from the second part. Put them together and says Aren't they ministering spirits to those who will inherit salvation? Now. I didn't talk about that verse last week because we have a lot of other stuff to cover. So let's uh, kind of go back retroactively and try to look a little bit into verse 7 and what does it mean that God make His angels, spirits, and His ministers flames of fire. If you have uh, an NIV or New American Standard Bible and you read that verse, that's a quote from Psalm 104, verse 4 in the, in, in the Old Testament. If you have an NIV or a New American Standard Actually, that verse will read a little bit different than how the author of Hebrews is quoting it here. Uh, And the NIV, the New American Standard, they're actually following the Hebrew text, which we all hold to be God's word. And it says this in Psalm 104, making winds his his messengers blazing fires his ministers. That's what the Hebrew actually says, and that's what the NIV and the New American Standard following the Hebrew, they just went with that. Making wins his ministers, blazing fires his minister. In Psalm 104, the the psalmist is talking about how God is so majestic that even the elements of nature adore him and worship him. And he he moved to verse 4 and he said that the winds and the blazing fire, probably a metaphor for thunder here, fulfill the very plan and the very um, uh, purposes of God. You guys are with me? But that's not what the author of Hebrews is saying. The author of Hebrews twist it, like put it backward forward. So instead of saying making winds his messengers, he said making his messengers winds, right? And the second part, blazing fire his ministers, said he make his ministers blazing fire. Which implies that the messenger and the minister here are the actual angels who are ministering as winds and as blazing fire. So that's a little bit different than what the Hebrew actually say. Amen. Why? Well, the author of Hebrews actually followed the Septuagint. We talked about this many, many times. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible before even Jesus came to existence and Christianity even came to existence. You know, and the, the, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament before Christ, read this, read, making his angels wins and his ministers blazing fires. So the Septuagint reversed it. And the author of Hebrews quoted verbatim from the Septuagint, which is not really kind of what the Hebrew was saying. Are you guys with me so far? All right. So why is there a difference? Why did the Septuagint uh, change it? And why did the author of Hebrews go with the Septuagint instead of going with the actual Hebrew text? Well, this is a hard question to answer, and there is no clear answer for that, to be honest with you. I'm not going to stand here till you I have the answer to this one. I don't. We have some ideas why this might have happened, but we don't know for sure why did it happen. Let me give you um, a little bit of a background here. So the Greek translation was done before Christ, okay, before Christ was born. You guys are with me? Now, the Hebrew text that we as Christians hold as God's word that we have in our own Bibles was collected about the 10th century, okay? So the Greek actually was done at least 10 centuries before the Hebrew text that we have right right now in our hands. You guys are with me yeah. but the Hebrew text that the, the Jewish people who collected that the Jewish scholars who did that Hebrew text collection in the 10th century did such a good job this is really what we hold to be God's word not really the Greek translations you guys are with me so far you understand the difference so that the Hebrew text that we have now was collected in the 10th century it's called the Masoretic text or which is empty so in a way, it's much old, much newer than the Septuagint, but it's kind of more accurate than the Septuagint for the most part. So far good? Yep. All right. So why there is a difference between, uh, why did the Septuagint change that? Why then the Hebrew text? There's two possible explanations. None of them. is just guesses, I guess, more, more than accurate trans, uh, explanation. The first one is... We actually didn't ha- we don't have in our hand the original Hebrew text that the Septuagint translators used to translate their, their, their text, right? So we don't know if, that, if, if they actually meant to change it or if they didn't mean to change it. Maybe that the Hebrew text that the Septuagint translators had actually had it the same way they translated. We don't know that, okay? So that's one explanation. The second explanation is this. Psalm 104, again, the whole psalm talks about God's majesty over the elements of nature, what he has created. That's the whole point. So in the context, what the Hebrew text actually says, making um, uh, the winds his minister and the blazing fire his servants fits more in the context of Psalm 104. It makes sense more if you read the whole Psalm that he's not really talking about the angels or the, 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 the angels as God's minister, but rather as the elements of nature as God's, um, as God's servants. However, there's a possible chance that the author, the translators of the Septuagint actually reversed it on purpose because when they tried to translate it, they say that God is majestic and superior not just over the created natural elements, but also over the supernatural beings that he also have created, that is, the angels. Amen? Grammatically, both are plausible. There is nothing wrong from the grammar perspective. The context definitely favor what the Hebrew texts say. Is it intentional or it is not intentional? It's a matter of guessing, really. There is no solid uh, explanation to this. But we know that the author of Hebrews counted... That the Septuagint translation as God's word inspired by God. And that understanding he used that for his argument to prove that Jesus is superior than the angels because the angels are servants, but Jesus is God in his nature. Amen. Did I lose you already? Good thing we have notes because you can go back and read <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's hard, but I didn't want to just pass over it. All right, now, um, what does it mean then that God has created his messengers, uh, God makes his messengers as wind and his, his ministers as flames of fire? It talks more about how, the angels are are ministering. That's pretty much might have been the understanding of the psalmist. He's saying in a way that Arjum, which is the paraphrasing of the Old Testament, reads this, who makes his messengers swift as the wind and his ministers mighty as a flaming fire. So that's kind of the paraphrasing of how people, before even Jesus understood that first, that it talks about the nature of how the angels are ministering to God. Amen? But when it comes to the angels, again, let's roll everything back to verse 14. The author of Hebrews is describing them as ministering spirit. Ministering refers to their function and spirit spirits rever- refers to their nature. Amen? They are ministering spirits. All right, so are they not all? We talked about the word all. Nobody's superior than Jesus. They're all servants. And then ministering spirits. And then it says they are sent. Fourth, why? To minister for those who will inherit salvation. Amen? Amen? This is very interesting. They are sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation. In the Old Testament, many times angels are referred to as sons of God. Amen? Children of God. And human like you and me are referred to as servants of God. That's pretty much very common in the Old Testament. Amen? But that has been reversed in the New Testament. Can I say amen? Can I have an amen? Amen. Now you and me because of Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. Now we are the ones who are children of God and the angels now are servants of God. It has been reversed because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Amen? Now they are ministering spirits to those who will inherit salvation. So in a way, the author of Hebrews is saying that angels are servants for you and me who will inherit salvation. And we see that throughout the scripture. It's, it's amazing how the ministry of the angels, the Bible speaks about. I'll just highlight a few. Remember when Elijah was down and he felt lonely and he felt like he's the only one who's worshiping God? Who comes to aid him and encourage him? An angel right and he say he's encouraging Elijah he's trying to minister to him he's trying to support him in his ministry isn't that what exactly happened to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 after his temptation and Jesus the Bible said that angels have come and ministered to him do you see it's it seems like it's a pattern whenever a, a, a minister of God is like down and just you know need encouragement angel come to the aid to minister and encourage them amen we see angels carrying the believers into the, to the bosom of the Father in luke 1622 we see angels when the church prayed that Peter would be released from the jail God sent an angel who breaks the chain and nudge Peter in his side like wake up get out of here and an angel come to fulfill the very answer of prayers that the saints have been crying out to God and to encourage Peter and get him out of jail we see angels encouraging Paul when he was in the ship that is being wrecked and there is no hope for them. And the Bible said, Paul said that the angel stood by me and gave me a good word of encouragement, and because of that word, I'm standing here and telling you that nobody will die, because the angel came and has been with me the whole night. Angels bring specific ministry direction from God to the saints. For example, we see that in, in Philip the Evangelist in Acts chapter 8. The, the angel came to Philip and said, do you see that chariot over there? Go talk to that guy, right? And he gives him specific direction, how he needs to share the gospel and how he needs to pro- to promote the gospel. And number three, whatever one of these numbers Angels also protect the children of God. Doesn't it say in the book of Psalms that God will give His angels charge over you so they will protect you in all your ways. Amen? The angels of God just surround the saints of God to protect them from any scheme of the enemy as they are walking about their daily lives. Amen? This is just amazing. Now, look at this. It doesn't say that the angels are, are ministered to those To those who will inherit salvation till the 3rd century or till the end of the book of Acts, right? It says they are ministers to all those who will inherit salvation, amen? If you're here today and you know that you're going to inherit salvation, this is what angels still are doing for you and are doing for you. This is not something that stopped when the apostles canonized the Bible or the church fathers canonized the Bible and said it's all done and now we have the scripture. Then angels said, well we're done. We'll move on to something else. This this is a ministry that the angel is still doing to you and to me. Even though sometimes we don't see it. Maybe God will give us a chance to actually experience that in a way. Amen? That we See angels again serving us, aiding. Maybe not serving. Maybe aiding and ministering to us, so we can promote the gospel Amen. and get people to know Jesus. Amen. Amen. Who is uh, the people that these angels are serving? It's the people who will inherit salvation. Amen? Amen. Will inherit is that future tense or is that past tense? Will inherit. What is that? that's something going to happen in the future right the idea of the future salvation is not just spoken about only here in the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews spoke about that multiple times throughout that book. He talks about the world that is about to come in Hebrews 2, 5. He talks about the age to come, the age of salvation to come in Hebrews 6, 5. He talks about the city which will come in Hebrews thirteen fourteen. So the concept of future salvation, that is something that the author of Hebrews talked about at least four times in his book. Amen? So what is the author of Hebrews talked about? I thought I am already saved. Am I saved or am I going to be saved? Which one is it? Well, actually you are saved. You are being saved and you will be saved. Amen. The Bible speaks that salvation goes into three stages. You probably heard this before. The first stage is past. Something happened in the past. That is salvation from the wages of sin. Amen. Other words for that is justification. You're being made right with God. Example Ephesians chapter 2 what does Paul say by grace you have been saved is that past tense or present tense or future tense Past tense. You have been saved already by grace. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. That's salvation in the past. That is salvation from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin. Which is to be separated from God for all eternity. Amen? But you get saved from that. The wages of sin is broken off you. When you repent of your sins, come to Jesus. Ask Him to come into your heart. From that point forward, you are made right before God. You are a child of God. You are going to heaven Because you are now part of God's family. You have been justified before God. Amen? But the Bible also talks about present salvation. Something you do as of now. That is salvation from the power of sin. Amen? Amen? Other words for that is sanctification. We're walking in this world. Are we perfect? No. God knows we're not perfect. If you hang out with me for half an hour, you'll know I'm not perfect. None of us is perfect, right? But that's why sin, we wrestle with sin. Sin wrestles with us. Sometimes we're faithful and we can do the right things. Many times we fall and sin can deceive us and we end up doing the wrong thing. Amen? That's why even though we're our children of God, we're going to heaven. Our salvation is not at question at this point, but we are being sanctified every single day as we walk with God till the day that we don't need to be sanctified anymore. Amen? So that is called sanctification. We see an example for that in Philippians 2.12, what does Paul say? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that is something you're still doing right now amen, you strive against sin, we're gonna see that in Hebrews 12 the author of Hebrews says, strive against sin even to the blood shed, like if you have to die and shed your blood so you won't sin, you have to strive and you have to do it this way, amen, so that is something you are working on as of now, and then the Bible also speaks of future salvation that is salvation from the body or that nature of sin, amen. Sadly, when we got saved before God from the wages of sin, we still have that nature that is dragging us. That's why we're being struggling with it in the present time. But the day will come, amen. I tell you, I'm forty and I'm already looking forward to that day. It's <laughs> just. Um, the day will come when the very body, the very nature of sin that is dragging us down that is just not working with us to do the will and the purposes of God, that will be shit off, and then we will be in the presence of God forever and forever, and that is the salvation that is called glorification you're got to be glorified when we enter into that presence of God first Peter one nine receiving what the end of your. Faith, the salvation of your souls. Is that something happened or is being happening or it's going to happen in the future? That's future stuff. The end of your faith. That's what Paul said, the salvation of your soul. So you are saved in the past from the wages of sin. This is how you enter into heaven. The present or the future tense is not what is required for you to enter into heaven. It's the past salvation, being a child of God, being justified. That's what it takes to enter into heaven. But as a child of God, you still wrestle with sin. And that's why you need to be sanctified. You need to be every day striving to try to walk before God and always please Him. But the day will come when even that very nature of sin will be done with. And then we're going to be in the presence of God forever and forever more. Amen? That salvation... The future salvation is what the author of Hebrews is referring to right here. Amen? Because he said that ma- the angels are ministering spirits to those who will inherit salvation. Something will happen in the future. I tell you, I'm glad that angels are here to aid us, to minister to us, to help us. Till that point that we say, thank you, we have arrived, we don't need your help anymore. Amen? But till that day, we have angels serving and ministering to us to aid us In this process. Amen. Mm -hmm. Now. Well inherited salvation. That's not just future salvation. But it's also inherited salvation. Right. Mm -hmm. How much work you have to do. To inherit something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Right. If you're born in the family. You get the inheritance. Right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how hard you try. Or how hard not try. Amen. Mm -hmm. You get it by default. Because you are part of the family. And isn't that such a relief. Amen. We don't have to strive for that salvation. Just like the way you saved in the past or present or future. You don't have to earn your salvation. This is inherited by the mere fact that you have been adopted into the very family of God by faith. Amen. This is not a salvation that you need to earn or work at. This is something that you will be blessed by because you are a child of God. It's by default yours. Amen? Let's look at some verses to see about a little bit about our amazing, wonderful inheritance and then we'll close in prayer. So we're going to inherit salvation. Amen? Amen. We're going to also inherit the earth. That's in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Amen? Just a side note here. Jehovah Witness said that there's 144,000 who will be in heaven, and then everybody else is going to end up on earth. Well, I have some bad news for them. We're all going to end up here, right? (laughs) The last book in the book of Revelation tells us clearly, God himself will come down, and we're all going to end up right here in earth, right? I just wish I can move out to Franconia, but we'll see, amen. <laughs> um, we all going to end up on earth. Earth here is just a reference to God's future eternal status. When everybody's going to be here, God will be in our midst. And there will be no death, no tears, no pain, no sin, nothing. Because God will be with us forever and forever. Amen? Number two, we're going inherit to the, inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. This is what Paul said. Do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Amen? The flip side of that is also true. That the righteous, the one who is made righteous by Christ, will inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? We will inherit the promises in Hebrews 6.12 that you do not become sluggish but uh, imitate those who through faith, the Old Testament believers, through faith and patience inherited what? The promises of God, Amen. We're gonna inherit incorruption. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty. Now this I say, brethren, that the flesh—that flesh and blood, our flesh and blood—cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption, which is our nature right now, inherit in corruption. Even though it's not explicit, it's implied that we're gonna inherit in corruption. Amen? Amen. You know what is the best thing we're gonna inherit? the Lord Himself. Amen? He will be our inheritance. He will be our portion and nobody can ever take that away from us. Psalm sixteen five. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. Amen? Yeah. And in Deuteronomy 10.9, just another example to show you that it's true. God is talking about the Levi. And that's literal. It can apply to you and me in a spiritual sense. Therefore Levi, the priests of God in the Old Testament, does do, do not or does not Have a portion in the land. Or inheritance with their brethren. Why? For the Lord is his inheritance. Amen. Amen. Just as the Lord your God spoke to him. Every other tribe had a land. As their portion. As their inheritance. Levi had the Lord. Amen. I tell you they had that better portion. Amen. Let's just come before the presence of God in prayer.